Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today I'll be looking at the blessed man of God in Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3. Psalm 1 is our entry point into the Psalter, the book of God's praises. And it begins this fantastic book with what separates the two types of people in this world. We have the man of God who seeks after the Lord's instruction in his life, who avoids the ways of this world, its attitudes and counsel. He strives for the things of God and has his spirit nourished in God's word. He delights in the word of God. He studies it. He meditates upon it and has his foundation in it. Today I will only be talking about the blessed man. The soldier has a fair amount to say about the blessed one. In Psalm 1 we are shown the contrast between the blessed man and the ungodly. And in the rest of the Psalter we have many things that are outlined about the blessed man. We are told that the blessed ones trust in God. But those who receive forgiveness, having their sins covered, are blessed. We're told that the blessed nation is one whose God is the Lord. The blessed ones will inherit the earth. The blessed one considers the poor and will be delivered in times of trouble. Blessed is the man chosen by God, who God causes to approach him. We are blessed through believing in Christ. Blessed are they who dwell in the Lord's house and have their strength in God. Blessed are those who walk in the countenance of God and know the joyful sound. Blessed are those who the Lord instructs and teaches by his law. The blessed one keeps justice and does righteousness. The blessed one fears the Lord. The blessed one comes in the name of the Lord. The blessed ones are undefiled in the way, walking in God's law. But as I said previously, the book of Psalms has a lot to say about those who are blessed. But today we'll be focused solely on the teaching of Psalm 1, particularly verses 1 through 3, which read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So to begin with, the blessed man avoids the ungodly. You will notice in this psalm how there is a progression from walking to standing and finally sitting. When we take part in the counsel of the ungodly, we cause ourselves firstly to join them in their evil instruction, turning away from God's law. But it will cause us eventually to become stationary and ultimately we will begin to sit and take rest in the congregation of the world, nourishing ourselves in that congregation of scornful, wicked people rather than resting upon Christ. In Psalm 26, the psalmist tells us of his godly conduct, how he has walked in the truth of God, has walked in integrity, trusting the Lord and has hated the assembly of evildoers. We must ask ourselves, do we hate the ungodly counsel of this world, or do we take delight in worldly counsel that feeds into our sinful desires approving those things that God tells us we must cast off far from us? In Jeremiah 15, the prophet tells us how he sat alone for God's hand was upon him, and he would not sit with the wicked people. We must take heed to what this psalm approves and take delight in the instruction of God, despising the instruction of this world. So let us pray on the psalmist's words in Psalm 119. Lord, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Which path will we stand in? The path of sinners or the path of the just? 
This is a question we need to ask ourselves daily. Right now, at this point, am I standing in the righteous path of God's instruction or the path of sinners? At work, we will be surrounded by people of the world and in other areas of life. But when we go from the realm of things that we need to do into the realm of things that we want to do, are we putting ourselves into the assemble of godly people or of wicked people? We must protect ourselves. Our spirits must be taking nourishment in God, feeding upon his word and being strengthened thereby. We must not be attempting to dip our toes in the river of wickedness while washing our heads in the fountain of life. And the last thing we are told that the blessed man avoids is the seat of the scornful. This is perhaps one of the most destructive of worldly behaviours that we likely all take part in far too often. It does not seem so bad on the surface, after all it's not harming anybody. But what does the Apostle Paul say when talking about sitting around in idleness? 1 Timothy 5.13 And besides they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. This seat of idleness breeds in us a spirit of gossip, slander and scornfulness. The psalmist in Psalm 50 tells us that these people give their mouths to evil and their tongues frame deceit. They sit and speak against their own brother. Our minds inactively brew up thoughts of wickedness against those around us. We must stay actively abiding in the word of God upon his instruction, treating those around us with love and understanding and not fall into this trap of sitting in the assembly of evildoers, thereby resting in sin. And we move with the psalmist from what the blessed one avoids unto what he actively does, beginning with delighting in the law of God. Law would be better rendered the instruction of the Lord. It is not to single out the Ten Commandments or a particular set of rules, but a blanket statement for all of God's instruction towards man. So do we delight in this instruction? Do we find it to be the true, holy words from God himself? Are the scriptures a light unto our souls or are they some irrelevant words that we just glaze over in church? See, the author of Hebrews said concerning the word of God, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The apostle James said, But of his own will God brought us forth by the word of truth, we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of God is alive. It is powerful and gives nourishment and strength unto our spirits. The word of God is inerrant and infallible. It carries nothing but truth in its pages. We must look at these scriptures and delight in their magisterial content. So the scriptures not only inform us of our faith, but they inform us of who we truly are and who God truly is. In Romans 3, we are told that none of us are righteous. In Genesis 8, we are told that man's heart is evil from his youth. This humbling truth of mankind is evident when we look at the world around us and truly inquire of our own selves. But what does it tell us of God's response to this truth? That he gave his only begotten son, but whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is something we have no choice but to delight in. The grace of God is beyond our comprehension and fully deserving of our praise and adoration. On this instruction, the blessed man meditates day and night. How do you meditate on this instruction? 
Do you read the word and pray about its contents, fixing specifically on the developed themes of what you have read? Do you take notes and deeply study its contents? There are a few ways in which we can meditate on this divine word and all those ways should be encouraged. Let us pray over the word. Let us sing the Psalms. Let us study each book and chapter. Let us memorize its verses and praise God in its truth. Let us so saturate ourselves in the word of God that we can do nothing but reverberate its truth to those around us as wandering biblical echo chambers. And finally, the blessed one shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Let's refresh our minds with a statement of Christ to the woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the situation we find ourselves in after we have repented and believed in the gospel of Christ and have received the salvation that comes by believing in his name alone. We are like trees who have been transplanted from the forest of dead deeds and brought to live feeding upon the fountain of living water in Christ. We become as a well-fed and nurtured tree. We begin to bring forth its fruit in our season. Like the seed the sower planted on good ground, we spring up and yield fruit. We have received the word of God that has been firmly planted in our hearts because of our faith that rests solely upon Christ alone for salvation. The Apostle Peter tells us, We, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. We do not belong to a faith that is dead. Remember, Christ said no one gets a light and hides it under a basket but sets it on a lampstand. We are to be beacons of light in this fallen world of darkness and we are only able to function effectively if we are being well nourished in this living water. We are told that those trees planted by this river and bring forth fruit in its season also does not have perishing leaves. The life that is found in the word of God and given to us through the grace of Christ ministered to us by the Holy Spirit is abundant life that this world can neither replicate nor come close to replacing. In Christ we are going to inherit eternal life. Without Christ we will inherit eternal condemnation. In Christ we store up heavenly riches. In this world we store up wrath. Through Christ we will be delivered to glory, and yet in this world the only glory we will ever have will be whatever scraps we may cling to in this life. We must take a deep spiritual delight in the word of God, taking all its promises and blessings that are given to God's saints and trusting in them for ourselves. We must rest in the revealed truth of Christ's salvation and grace, the Father's love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And when we take part in the counsel of the wicked, the path of sinners and the congregation of the scornful, we are doing contrary to the word of God and are unable to delight in God's instruction. We must cast those things far from us and continue in God's law. And so I'll finish this episode by quoting Moses' words to Israel in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the Reformed Affections podcast. 
In the previous episode, I focused on the first three verses of Psalm 1 and what it says concerning the blessed man. Today, I want to look at the last three verses and the contrast of the godly and the ungodly in regards to where those two lives will lead, especially focusing on the benefits that the Christians share in through our union with Christ and then the weakness of life without a foundation that all people outside of Christ take fellowship in. So Psalm 1 verses 4 to 6 reads, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So when speaking about the ungodly people of this world, the Psalter uses the image of chaff to explain how their lack of a firm foundation leaves them to be as chaff before the wind. The wind drives the chaff out with ease. Proverbs 10.25 tells us that when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. The ungodly and the godly will not both be driven by the wind. The righteous have their root, their foundation, in God. We cannot be cast to and fro because we have become like a tree firmly planted beside the rivers of water. When God unleashes his judgment upon mankind, we will stand in that righteous judgment because we cling solely to Christ. Like the old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Upon judgment, Will you be found clinging to Christ and the salvation that he has granted us? Or will you be as chaff without foundation and holding nothing but your sin in your hands awaiting the wrath of God? Proverbs 12.3 restates the truth that a man is not established by wickedness and that the root of the righteous cannot be moved. By acting in wickedness and sin, we do not cause ourselves to plant ourselves firmly to withstand God's judgment. Rather, we plant ourselves in the firing line of his wrath. Christ said in Matthew 7.24, But whoever hears his sayings and does them, he will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. That when the rain and floods came, with the mighty winds, the house did not fall because it was founded on the rock. If we are going to withstand the righteous judgment of God, let us be found with Christ as our foundation, our Redeemer and Lord. Or else, as Job said, we will be like the chaff carried away in the storm. So on top of this metaphor of the chaff driven by wind, the Bible also employs the metaphor of stubble devoured by fire. In Isaiah 5.24, the prophet says that, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Both metaphors drive home this reality of those without Christ are without righteousness that will save them on the day of judgment, and will be driven by the wind, devoured by the fire. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. God's justice must be, and will be, poured out upon all sin. He cannot bypass his justice and continue to be a holy, righteous God. Job says in Job chapter 8, verse 3, Does God subvert judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? God created mankind and is the sovereign ruler over all things. His law has been established and his law will be upheld. If we break any of the laws of God, we become liable for the corresponding punishment. 
and the scripture tells us that the punishment of sin is death. And it also tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The biblical witness is overwhelming in defense of the fact that we all truly and justly deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. Thus it's not surprising to find out through the psalmist's words that the ungodly will not stand in judgment. Romans 4.5 highlights the gracious kindness of God, instructing us that to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This means that we do not become righteous and enter into God's glory by turning from sin and fulfilling the law only, but by placing our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone who is fully able to save us from our sin. Remember that Job said, God does not subvert or pervert his justice. Our sin demanded God to punish us, but in his loving mercy and grace, he gave to us his only begotten son to die for us on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself, and thereby freeing us from the curse of the law and giving us righteous standing before God in judgment. The ungodly reject Christ. They hate the cross of salvation and they detest the mercy and grace that God has extended to us. Blinded by a heart of hateful sinfulness, mankind would rather seek a self-made righteousness than find forgiveness in Christ. Therefore, the wicked people have no standing when it comes to judgment day and they will be truly blown by the wind and devoured by the fire of God's holy righteousness. The psalm posits two different congregations, the one of the righteous in which the wicked have no place and the assembly of sinners that the blessed ones avoid. They are complete opposites of one another, delighting in different things and participating in polar opposite actions. The wicked assembly walks in ungodly counsel. They walk in the broad path of destruction and assembles together in the seat of scornfulness. And what are these individual actions? I think best to consider the ungodly counsel mainly in light of what I have previously spoken about. The godly counsel is to heed the commands of Christ and walk in his instruction. So the ungodly counsel would be to mock that counsel and despise it, walking after the desires of our own hearts rather than godliness. Psalm chapter 10 verse 3 states, But the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked without God's grace. So to walk after these desires is to walk contrary to God's instruction, which is the blessed man's delight. Walking in that broad path of destruction is far easier said than avoided. It's the path that by nature we all desire and favour over against the narrow path of salvation. Christ said in Matthew seven thirteen that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. This path is easily found and we need only look around ourselves in our own lives and those who are around us and we'll see the multitudes of people who walk in this way of wickedness going completely contrary to morality. At every turn they detest the instruction of God and they, they turn to the desires of their own hearts. Christ said concerning the path of the righteous that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. So take heart in your own journey on the narrow path, knowing that every Christian struggles in the forsaking of the old life and the natural desires we are always so drawn towards. 
We need to remind ourselves that we have been freed from our sin to now live to righteousness by the power of God. And if you're currently on that path of destruction, the only way off of it is to forsake your sinful ways and to turn to Christ seeking his grace and find salvation. So if you're on that path, please jump off of it. Go and turn to Christ. Seek him, seek his grace and find his salvation and place your faith and your trust completely in him alone. Otherwise you will not stand in that day of judgment. It is God who establishes us on the narrow path. He takes us from the wide path of destruction and helps us out of that dark place to let us on our way in his narrow path. In Psalm 40 verse 2, the psalmist states this truth in these words. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. God hears our pleas for his salvation and moves us from that path of death to the path of life. It is God who establishes this way of righteousness. Mankind does not establish, we actively by nature do not want this path to life, as it means humbling ourselves and acknowledging that we are not capable on our own to accomplish this. In today's world, it is weak to call for help, we weak to be unable to do something of our own wisdom, of our own power. But God says, do not be ashamed of your weaknesses to save yourselves, but do not be too proud to find my salvation either. We all need to humble ourselves, repent and believe the gospel, turn from our own strength or what, what we think, strength we think we have, turn and rest solely on that strength and power and ability of Christ who alone is able to save. The ungodly are established on that wide path, destined for destruction and will perish on that way. What the scriptures say about this perishing of the ungodly is that it will take very little for them to be destroyed. Remember the wicked and this goes for anyone listening who is not a true believer in Christ, will be driven by the wind and devoured by the fire of God's judgment. Psalm 68.2 reads, As smoke is driven, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. All it will take for the wicked, the unrighteous ones, to perish is for God to be present. This is the glorious truth of the holiness of God. Were we Christians not joined in this union with Christ, sharing in the benefits of his death and resurrection by God-given faith, we would be destroyed at the very presence of our holy God come judgment day. We sinful human beings will not be able to stand the glory of his righteous presence. So super exceedingly radiant is his holiness that our sinful, self-centered heart will condemn us on the spot in the presence of such holiness. We may in this life run from internal convictions of our inherent moral anchoring. However, on that glorious, terrible day, our self-condemnation will be unavoidable and the following punishment would be completely inexcusable. This truth of falling at the presence of God is echoed to us again in Psalm 80 verse 16. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. The presence of a holy God is terrifying to a sin-infested soul. Let us not be caught denying our sinfulness, deceiving ourselves into hell. Examine ourselves fully. Let us all turn to Christ, accepting our sinful condition and need of him, that we will be found standing upon that firm foundation of Christ's righteousness on judgment day. And finally, Psalm seventy-three, twenty-seven: For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Will you be found as one far from God? 
numbered amongst the wicked, seeking the worldly counsel and seat of scornful mocking? Or will you search for the congregation of the righteous and be found standing and sharing in the righteousness of Christ? Everything stands on the balance of that question. Will you stand with Christ and inherit everlasting life? Or will you continue in rebellion against God, hoping in your worldly counsel to find peace in the life to come? Or have you so hardened your heart as to believe that this world is all that there is in our human existence and be found wailing in the punishment you deserve after a life of sin? Amen.